So welcome to Roll Call Episode 5. It's not the Roll Call. It's Roll Call. Okay? So don't hashtag the Roll Call. Hashtag Roll Call. R-O-L-E. R-O-L-E. It's in a roll of paper. The actor's roll. That's why actors say, my roll. I got the best roll in the in the play. Because in Shakespeare's time, you used to get a roll uh, with your lines on it of paper. Just your lines. Yeah. No one else's. Really? So how did yep. you know when... This is what, that's what theater kids learn in, in theater school. But then how did you know when it was your turn to speak? You didn't. <laughs> it was up to the director to tell everybody when to come in. I like that. Say their line. And then... <laughs> yeah, that'd get tiring. That would get crazy, right? We're spreading joy to the masses. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? What? I don't know. Walking? Walking? Christopher Walken just slipped out sometimes. He why did walk-in accents... Uh, were they, why were they popular? And why, then they became not popular anymore. When did they become not popular? Uh, long time ago. Nah, come on. Dude, when I was... I mean, Everyone. 10 years ago, when I would go to bars and like Jay Moore did it on it, and I'd like go <laughs> what to What did bar. you just do? You went to bars? <laughs> like go to, nobody can see that. God darn. Jay Moore started it, it, dude. Jay Moore started the whole the whole walk-in impression yeah. craze in Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And then everyone started to do that. Everybody theirs. did it. So, But that was even like, and that was 1999. Even before, that was like 94 when he, when he was on that show. Yeah, and then in 2009, I was still doing my walking impression. I was doing true still doing romance. <laughs> I was doing true, but then it didn't become a thing. It's in hibernation. I don't know. The appreciation the, from people has always been there. I think, like when, when someone starts doing it, everyone seems out. to enjoy it. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So yeah, sometimes he just slips out in an interview. You know, he'd just be talking, and then like, surprise. So you just got back from uh, San Juan. Um, how was it over there i was in old san juan yeah for the premiere of the documentary about my father that was just made for pbs it aired two days ago uh i was hanging with carmen Eulene cruz who uh famously you know stood up to trump after the whole hurricane mess she she was wonderful a wonderful uh host for us and made us feel really welcome and my whole family was at the screening, which was incredible. I mean, it's been a five-year process, uh, almost, making the, uh, the documentary. And the director came to me and asked very you know, um, generously, he said, look, I'm, I wanna make this movie. Will you and your, your family help me make it? So we did. And um, it was definitely a way to revisit my, my dad's life and kind of uh, complete a lot of stuff that was in our in my past and uh, with him. So I, I see the documentary, and I see him. You know, it's been 25 years uh, since he died, and I feel like that's this is part of the uh, the completion of that. Uh, I have had so many people uh, texting me. Friends of theirs who don't know that they know me or my family or my, you know, they didn't, uh, they, they're telling them about the documentary and that they've seen it, they loved it. And uh, there's a lot of pride from people of the island of Puerto Rico. It's a historic time there right now, what's going on. So there's a lot of pride. It's the perfect moment for the documentary to come out. The director, Ben Zeus, he really, uh, he did it a great job. So shout out, Ben. Good job. Um, yeah. PBS, uh, PBS Latino. Um, Edward James Olmos was a producer. So thank you, Eddie Olmos. It was great. Yeah, it's great being there. What's uh, what's been up with you? You know, I was um, I was in Belize for a bit. I'm back. Um, just writing, going to my pool, hanging around Beachwood. Been, I, I have to admit, ever since I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I've been going deep down the Charles Manson rabbit hole. Uh huh. A subject I never really 
quite a hole to go down knew much about no it, it's 50 years worth of shit it's crazy once you delve into it and you read about all the circumstances and what led up to it and what happened after it's it's really upsetting and it's kind of like too horrific for words but i keep going back to tarantino's film and what he did i think it's beautiful what he did like uh you know when you're watching the film you're semi-spoilers but you know when you're watching the film if you've seen inglorious bastards like the dramatic question you're asking throughout is is he going to do a, a revision you know like he did before and then ultimately you know that that he is at some point and it's brutally violent like it's really like the the scenes are really violent and at the same time it's like it's a it's a revenge piece in a way and he's giving us this interpretation of of things that he feels we deserved. It's a, I find it to be a very loving film. I found it to be a very, I don't know, mystical in a way. You know, it stayed with me for days afterwards. So we, we should probably introduce our next guest. Tony Plana. Tony Plana. Uh, you've seen incredible him. Incredible actor. You've seen him in movies like An Officer and a Gentleman, JFK, Salvador, Nixon, Lone Star. That, that to me is his masterpiece. You know, well, yeah, and it yeah, had yeah. such a an effect on me when I was I saw it when I was in film school, and like the way they use those flashbacks, like really blew me away. But we yeah. talk a little bit about this. But you know, if if you've seen the film, you know Matthew McConaughey, who was very, you know, was sort of like a new like actor at the time. The the way they shot him, they like basically had one location and they shot him out in like a day or two. But you feel like he's in the whole film. Yeah, the movie really holds up. And the three amigos as jefe uh anyone who is as big a fan of the three amigos uh will know exactly who i'm talking about right now so tony plano is one of those actors who often gets identified as a character actor um i guess that you could say about a lot of the actors that we have on the show um that's a whole other conversation he's got a uncanny ability to do a wide range of of performances i mean he can be incredibly scary you know and in, in some of the films he's been in and then he can be hilarious he has that gift to do to do both really well anything else you'd like to add no. about tony plana anything we, else about tony the show? Plana. You know, yeah just a really good generous guy and uh, uh a really good actor so i've done some bizarre oh. films i'm all over the planet oh sure yeah <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, yeah, you have over 200 credits that on crazy? IMDb. That's incredible, you know, film, and still working, which is yeah. incredible to me. You've done it all. You've, you've directed, you've yes. done theater, you've done, you've done that. And, you know, I like, I, acting is a lot easier. <laughs> Directing is, uh, it's hard work. Absolutely. Compared to acting, it's like, yeah. You know, you show up, you do your thing, and you then you well, leave. Yeah, right. And everybody sticks around for the next scene. Yeah, good day at work. And the director's there, the first one to be get there, and the last one to leave. It's a lonely job. What are we yeah. doing tomorrow? Yeah, <laughs> did we get everything today? I've done it, and I, I wouldn't mm. mind doing it again if it was something I really cared about. Like a, if I wanted to tell a story that I really felt was important. Yeah, because you spend so much time. I often tell people who are going to do independent films is you will be exhausted on your first day of principal photography. Like you are existing in three days at once. So you're thinking about what you shot yesterday. Yeah. You're thinking about how, how you, what you have to do shoot today. And then you're thinking about how you're going to, what you're going to do tomorrow. And then how it all kind of like pieces together. You're putting that jigsaw puzzle together in your head. It was a rude awakening as an actor. It just gave me such empathy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very good. nice to directors now. Well, yeah. how can I help you? <laughs> how can I make this go smooth? I know what you. you're going through. Yeah. It's like they always say directors should act or learn how to act, but it's good for actors to direct Ooh, too. You know? yeah. we, Both. We learn. It's so weird doing it. I mean, I think it's a very, nat we've talked about this, but I think it's a very natural course for an actor to become a director. I think it's a very smooth transition, but the opposite is very strange. Not right? everybody likes it. I mean, I actually enjoyed it creatively. But I mean, for example, I talked to Anthony Hopkins and he hated it. Really? Yeah, he tried it once or a couple of times and it's just like, no. Not into have it. You, have you seen him direct anything else? No, I don't think no. so. No. Yeah. No, he was, and he also wasn't into doing stage anymore. Really? You know, doing a performance, eight performances a week was just yeah. like, mm, yeah. not yeah, ready for that. see him, his, I feel like he would be intimidating as a director. 
We just talked to you very quietly. Clarice. Newtie. Yes, oh, I, I want I'm the sorry, shot over me. here. <laughs> no. Um, yes, let's get the well, you know what? I tell you, it's interesting about that. I don't think so at all. That guy is one of the most childlike people I've ever met. Mm. Such, such a breadth and depth of talent. He can do anything that he wants. And yet not arrogant about it. Just kind of like, this is, this is what we have to do. I just loved working with him. He was the sweetest man. And what was interesting is that we shot it at Sony. I grew up, you know, Cuba, a little bit time in Miami. Yeah. Cuba till I was eight years old. Miami for like a year, a little over a year. Then we moved to, to LA to Culver City, Venice. One of the, I think I was like maybe 10. I got a Stingray. And I was tooting around that neighborhood, you know. My, me and my buddies were all on stingrays. We were the sting, like we were the, like, you know, the, the precursors of the Mongols, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> but on stingrays, <laughs> stingray bikes. And so we would run around like a little gang, you know, innocuous gang, but we would run around and we would go to the studio and we would look through the fence. It's so, it was Columbia at the time. It wasn't Sony, but we'd look through the fence and we'd see all these actors and period cars and big lights and shit, you know, and I would just be in awe of that world. So then you flash forward 30 something years later and I'm walking through that studio with Anthony Hopkins doing Nixon in middle nineties. And I look over at those gates where I used to peek through and here I was, I, I never imagined, you know, like I admire your, your father in the sense that he kind of knew what he wanted to do early on. No, I, I, I didn't quite decide to become an actor until college. Mm. I had, I had an affinity for it. I, 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 I very attracted, but I was very scared of it because it seemed to me precarious. It seemed to me, you know, such an, uh, such great uncertainty yeah. <laughs> that came along with it. And, you know, uh, being an, an immigrant and oldest son of an immigrant, but also an immigrant, I felt pressure from my parents to kind of set the example of, here, we came here, we risked everything. You need to carve the way in this new land, in this new culture, this new family experience. So the, the option of becoming an actor was like, oh my God, it's, it was so, uh, it was so basically unknown and scary. So I had, I had great reservations yeah. <laughs> about jumping in. What I see, you know, when I, when I, when I saw the documentary of your father, that kind of like compulsion <laughs> to do it. You know, like this undeniable pull. It's a pull, yeah. Pull. And it happened in, you know, and I remember the play where it happened. I was doing a production of Archibald McLeish's JB at Loyola Marymount University, and I played Nichols. So I don't know if it is a story of Job in contemporary terms, in poetic language. And I was playing the devil. Nichols is really the devil. I remember there was a moment there when I was like, you know, like just enacting this ritual. I was going to really win Job's soul. All of a sudden I just felt like possessed. So, you know, by this, this power, this evil power, <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm, I have this dance with this knife and stuff. And I just said, man, this is what I want to do. Cause nothing I had ever experienced fulfill me like that. And so little by little, you know, uh, I, I had to like shed my, my fears. Not that they didn't, they went away altogether, but I kept fighting them. What, what got you to that first play, that school play? That um, it, that's, a, that's a good question. My second year, sophomore year history teacher, Mr. Fabing, now Father Fabing. We were reading documents from American history. I think we were reading the Declaration of Independence. He had me um, read it out loud. I said, oh, okay, well, that's good. Why don't you read it, you know, as the immigrant that you are? So he started directing me, right? Mm. Without me even knowing what, that, what the hell was going on. But he said, why don't you read it as the immigrant that you are and what, what, what these things mean to you personally in terms of coming from another country here? And I started reading it, you know, with a little more investment, right? A little more personal connection, and after I did it, he goes, okay, why don't you come see me after class? So I went to see him and he happened to be the monitor of the speech team at Loyola High School. 
And so he started training me in dramatic and humorous interpretation and started competing. And I started winning. I started going to these weekend speech contests and I, I would like get to the quarterfinals and then the semifinals, then the finals. It's like, I said, what the hell am I doing here? I didn't even know what I was doing. But there was some, just something it like natural that yeah. was there. Yeah. And, and I, I was, I, you'll laugh at this, but I was doing a lot of speeches from Salminio roles in the movies, oh, like yeah. from Rebel Without a Cause yeah, and uh, yeah, Gino, Dino. And, sure, you know, sure. so I was, I was like, all right, I look like him kind of, right? So yeah. I would take his speeches and do his speeches <laughs> in the contest and people go, yeah, I get it. I get That's it. Awesome. <laughs> and it, it came, you know, connected to them. And I started winning all these trophies, boom, 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 one after the other. And my, my sophomore year, I, I ended up going with Mr. Fabing and the speech team to compete in the state finals at Stanford. And I made it to the finals there. And it was just going, man, I, I, I'm good at this. So it was like this big self-realization, you know, of like, oh, I, I guess I'm good at this. And then he encouraged me to try out for the school plays. You know, Loyola High School has always had a very robust theater arts department. Not like in a college, but they, they, you know, you had a drama club and they, they, they put on, they put on a drama in, in the, in the fall and a, a musical in the spring. And I had, I ended up doing Mr. DePinna and you can't take it with you. I ended up doing Nathan Detroit and guys and dolls. One of the coolest things about that is that I was at the time, you know, uh, I, I had no idea, but they used to get their costumes from Western costumes. And I actually wore Frank Sinatra's, one of Frank Sinatra's suits. What? In the production <laughs> as Nathan Detroit. Because I, I was like, we were very similar in size, right? Wow. I fit right in. Yeah. I go, yeah, you know, okay, I hope I can sing as well. Not really. <laughs> but so that's kind of like how things started. They have one of the best radio stations oh. in LA. KXLU. Alma del Barrio. Alma del Barrio. I used to go visit yeah. there all the time. And listen to it religiously. I mean, who, what other station has salsa in Los Angeles? Which I is know. crazy, right? Yeah. You think they would be have more a place where you can really find it, especially on weekends. You yeah, know, it's uh, just they, the they, weekend is Alma del Barrio. You just have it on, you know. I know. You drive around. We barbecuing. Love and, that music. Yeah, and then of course studied at RADA. I did extremely prestigious uh, school in yes. England. Um, um, extremely humiliating experience. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of it. You know, yeah, I feel like that's is. part of theater school is oh my. having those teachers yeah, just who the are ego like- ego gets destroyed and then yeah. kind of little by little gets yeah. built back up again. But I never forget, I had such an inferiority complex when I was there because I'm this little Cuban guy from Cuba, Miami, LA, and I'm surrounded by these people at Rada who speak beautifully. Yes. Hi, Tony. <laughs> How are you? Good, sir. Resonating. Quiet, quiet. In perfect enunciation. And I'm, I'm still trying to get over my, you know, my Cuban accent. You know how it is. You have this sure. Cuban twang yeah, or Latino eight, Caribbean twang. Yeah. And so they, they worked hard for me to get rid of that. I've always talk, talked about it, that the, the irony is that, you know, uh, at, at Rada, they were having me work on Richard II by William Shakespeare. I love that. And then I would come to LA and work on gang member number two. Orale. You know, we'll take you down, homeboy. You know, I was like, okay, whatever. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what? I, it gets to the point where you go, you just, you know, you get the job, you get the job. You know, you a job is a job. And that's what was available at that time uh, for a lot of actors. And, you know, yeah, we know. We're actors, and here's we an interesting job, fact, right? Raul, is the fact that the same percentages for hiring Latinos existed in theater, television, and film. They hovered around 2%. This middle seventies. Okay. So think about it. Here's my, so I've got 2% chance of working in the theater. They pay nothing. I got a 2% chance of working in TV and film. They pay a lot more, especially if you're a SAG member, I'm going TV and film. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I, my illusions at the beginning were to be a repertory actor, you know? Um, I mean, look, I, I wanted your father's career. <laughs> you know, I really did. I wanted to like work in the theater. I'm a theater actor. I love the physicality the presence, the audience, that's not how it worked out. But, but it, looking back, it was really wonderful to do that because it, you, you were able to really build a career because they were documenting, you know, the theater dies. You do it and it it's dies. One, time, one night. One only. night. One well, day. I mean, well, closing yeah. night is closing yeah, out closing forever. Night. 
And so all of a sudden you're, you're there and you're like, you're not there anymore for film and television. All of a sudden you, you start to build a body of work. People are looking at you and they see you in this and they see you in that. And all of a sudden, you know, it breeds more work. And so it, it just happened organically, but it was never my intention. I didn't think that where there was that much for us to do there. And yeah. what, what was there to do was extremely negative and, you know, dim, 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 you know, diminishing. The first job I ever got out of university when I graduated in 1975 was I, I got a job in summer rep up in Santa Maria, California at the Pacific Conservatory of the Performing Arts, PCPA. And there were two stages at Santa Maria. There was an indoor theater at the Allen Hancock College. And then there was the Solvang stage in Solvang, which is outdoor. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's very nice. And they must have done like 14 plays. I played Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream. Nearly froze my ass off in, <laughs> in, in you know, uh, uh, Solvang at night because I was bare chested. I was Puck with these little things and running around these hoofs and, you know, yeah. co hair, hair covering my legs. But upstairs, like, there was a blanket <laughs> waiting for me off stage. Whenever I came off, like, ooh, somebody saw me in that. It was one of the directors of the other place. And then a project came along about Sirhan Sirhan, the killer of Robert yeah, Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, he just died, right? In, in, or he got stabbed in prison recently really? or something? Did, no, I didn't hear about that. No, yeah, I didn't yeah, hear about that either. Recently, yeah. Or, oh, I didn't hear uh, about that. Might be wrong. I know that he's been up for parole a million times. He's never yeah, going to exactly. get parole, no. sorry. But, he's still um, alive, yeah. I studied him assiduously, and I got the part. He had like a very high IQ, 150, 160 IQ. Super smart but super traumatized when he was as a child in Egypt by bombs from American bombers and Israeli bombers and always had this kind of intense hatred for the Jews and for, and then anybody who sympathized with the Jews, he was actually very pro Kennedy, pro John F. Kennedy until he saw RFK, Robert Kennedy. He was campaigning for president and he had a little yarmulke on and he was talking about, you know, the, the inviolate, you know, uh, rights of Israel to exist. And that just kind of like switched in him. So I studied him, you know, meticulously learned an Arab accent. We had worked on accents at the academy. And so I, I, I applied some of that and I would have Middle Eastern people come to see the play and they would come backstage and speak to me in Arabic. Wow. And I go, no hablo. <laughs> Sorry. Yo hablo, no, hablo español. español. <laughs> no Arab. But then they were like, wow, they go, because I kind of look like him. That was the part at the Melrose Theater, small theater, 99 seat theater, where I was working with a lot of older character actors who all had agents. Yeah. And they came to see their clients. And when they saw me, I got five agents offered me representation and I, and I met with all five chose the one that I liked and that's how I got started yeah that's amazing. and then going back to the boss's son that's how I got my SAG card because my my buddy Chris Mulkey and I um we were working up at Universal Studios um this is another crazy story but we were pretending to be makeup artists in Hollywood it's a great actor by the way Chris Mulkey oh Oh, he's one of my best friends. We started together, 1975. Mm -hmm. And he and I wrote a play together because we were sitting around at Universal Studios and nothing was happening in our careers. And well, let's get something going. We wrote this play called Rhodesia's Ready When You Are about ex-Vietnam vets who are antsy about getting back to the adrenaline of combat and can't really adjust to civilian life. And so they start to look for mercenary soldier opportunities. And, and one of the things that they do to get that adrenaline is they kind of bring people in from the street and kind of terrorize them just to get that adrenaline up. And then they just let them loose called Rhodesia's Rain where you are. And, it, and we did it at this little place. It was a black theater and they let us use the, the space. It was like upstairs from, from like a, a, an Argentinian restaurant. It's called one flight up. Cause you have to go up one flight up from the restaurant. And there was all these evil offices, you know, it was a gay, gay newspaper and a, and a, and a call girl, uh, service and and then this you know these two office spaces that had turned into a theater and have maybe 20 seats in there and we put a poster of our play downstairs in the argentinian restaurant and bobby roth went there with his girlfriend saw the poster i think he knew mulkey and he said well let's go check it out he came to see it 
and ask for our pictures and resumes afterwards, like the play, like the performances. And then he taffed hardly me. And I played this Puerto Rican point guard in a basketball game of, of, of the guys in the boss's son's factory. And that's what I did for three days. I, I played point guard through, you know, hit some threes, pass the ball around, talk some shit, you know, out there on the, in the playground and, and, you know, shooting hoops. And, and that's how I got my side card. And, you know, that's those, are, oh, it's always a catch 22. You need to be in the union for an agent submit you to a SAG role and you can't get into the union unless you have a job. So how the hell do you get a job? It's just crazy. So that's how, that's what happened with me. That's it's just, you know, and everybody's story is different, you know? Well, it's interesting you say about your theater training and wanting to work in the theater and picturing yourself working in the theater, because I feel uh, what I saw in your, some of your first TV roles that you played like uh, Paper Chase with the actor <laughs> John Houseman. John Houseman. Oh, man, you yes. guys really did your homework. <laughs> You, you have no That's lives, I think. It's very all. true. <laughs> this is our life, and we accept it. We are, he, he we just, are nerds. We spend back days with Tony. <laughs> we love movies. You know, yeah, I um, love it. Thank you. Appreciate that. But I, uh, you brought it all back. Yeah. So yeah. you, you know, you stand up in that classroom to say, talk about that, and you have this. Um, you know, I was trying to put my finger on the word, and I think the best word to describe it is like sort of a nobility. Mm. You know, you have a nobility that you bring. I would say almost all the performances that i've seen depending on you know even the bad guys sometimes there's an ability there and i've makes, never been described so that way but sense. i really appreciate that yeah yeah it just makes so much sense when i when you when you describe what got you into wanting to be on stage and wanting wanting to be a theater actor and, and certainly you bring that into zoot suit when we get to zoot suit i mean all your theatrical training. A complicated, yeah. conflicted character. I love that yeah. character. I read that uh, you created that role on stage entirely. Yeah. And oh, conceived yeah. of it and then transferred it to screen. Well, to be fair, there was another actor who played it in a little workshop oh. at the taper. But that actor didn't work out. And so they were looking for me. I remember hearing that a lot of it was already cast and going, damn, because it sounded, something about it sounded intriguing <laughs> and there was something really kind of zeitgeist about it <laughs> you know what i mean there was something in the in the air with that piece that really fascinated me there was something archetypal about the pachuco and the suit suit and the, that whole thing sleepy lagoon murders and when the more i read about it I go damn why didn't i audition for this thing and all of a sudden my agents call and say you know they want to see you for rudy oh man i'll never forget I read that script like, like, like I was snorting cocaine or something. And I was like, I read that thing and I just started preparing and I went in there and I just kicked the ass on that role. Because as you know, you, you, he goes through a nervous breakdown at the end when he comes back in the reunion and he's, and, and he's never revealed to him that, it was, that he was like basically stripped and raped, whether physically but psychologically raped by these sailors. And he hasn't told anybody. But as when he comes back and the, 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 the big brother's out of the jail at the same time, he's back from the war, World War II, where he, he comes back and, you know, a decorated soldier, blah, blah, blah. And he gets drunk and he just, it just comes out of him. And he has this nervous breakdown at the reunion party. And I remember Luis Valdez looked, pausing. There was that silence after my, my audition. And he said, Tony, why don't you just go home and have a drink or smoke a joint or something? <laughs> <laughs> he was seriously concerned about my physical and psychological condition. <laughs> wow. Because I, I just, I mean, I was, I got a little crazy. Yeah, it was probably pretty clear to him that you were the guy at that point. So he was like, go take a load no, exactly. off because you got you know, it. I said, because I would, after I think, I said, well, you didn't need to see anything else. Uh, you know, can, we, can I show you something else? It's yeah. like this. <laughs> I can, it's like, I'm I a monologue. this fucking I role. Because I right. just felt it. I just said, this is mine. Going back to what you said about nobility, it's just interesting to a certain extent, because we're immigrants and because we're, we're kind of, all of us are on a hero's journey, combating big odds to conquer the, the monolith that is this country and we're in it and we're small and we're insignificant. So there is this kind of like David and Goliath, you know, kind of 
heroic aspect to our journey. And also the fact that we were always for so long and still to a certain extent being asked to interpret what are kind of long standing, repeated stereotypes, which seem to never really change, maybe a little bit, but not much. There is that challenge in us to one, humanize these stereotypes when they belong to, especially if you're a good performer. That's what I loved about your father, that every, every role was, there was a whole full human being there in, in all their flaws and contradictions. But I think that the, that, that ingredient of nobility, like you said, even the bad guys had a reason for being there. And you had a backstory that got them there. And there were, you know, you know, everyone, even bad guys don't believe they're bad. Right. Just, I just have to do what I have to do. It's so I've I haven't talked about this in this way before, and I've been interviewed a million times, as you can imagine. But sure. so, but but the fact that you brought that, and I think that's the that's a really good way of describe how we try to humanize and elevate this kind of one dimensional reductive roles, and elevate them to more nuance, more complexity, more even just bring in intelligence, you know, to it and wit. And again, nobility. Yeah. That what I do, I do, but don't insult me by messing with me and thinking you're better than me. You know, it's like, so right. it gets into that whole thing of like, okay, no, that's yeah. not going to happen. So it's just an interesting uh, part, I think, of what, of what we all do. Yeah. You know, and I something mo- that but mo- the good actors, I think, do that. Yeah. And something you know? that the play Zutsu does so well. Yes. Which is, okay, let's say we are this way. Let's say you you think you know how we are as a community, the, the Chicano community. We'll show you that side of it. But that's, you know, that's Eddie's but you character. Think you that's see, the, the, and then the, we'll show you the, the right. underbelly, and the we'll other side. You, yeah, the human behind side. Behind closed doors. Who are we? We're people. Who we really are, yeah. We have families. We have sisters and brothers and mothers right. and fathers. And we're all trying to survive. Yeah. You know, in, in a in a hostile environment. If you can't describe Zoot Suit as Brechtian, you can't describe anything. <laughs> well, well, it's interesting, <laughs> Raul, is that that's a so beautiful like, classification. Well, yeah. Because it was Brechtian as a theater piece, and it was Brechtian as a movie. Absolutely. We shot that movie shoot in 14 the, days the at the Aquarius <laughs> Theater after living with this play for almost two years. We did almost a year in L.A., and then we did several months of rehearsal and and several months of performance in New York. And then we came back and did the movie. I mean, when have you seen that almost very balanced treatment of a play, both cinematically and theatrically, right? Yeah. Where all of a sudden you're in a scene and you're inside, you're cutting, you're in a scene, the family scene, and you think you're, you know, you're thinking you're in a movie and all of a sudden the camera cuts back and all of a sudden the turntable starts to move mm. and they're not cutting. They're letting the turntable introduce the next scene. Right. And Pachuco's walking with it. And telling you, and then what happened was this, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, you know, and then you go back in into the scene cinematically and you're in a movie. So that kind of, hey, you're in, you're in a movie. No, you're in the theater. No, you're in the movie. No, you're in the theater. That's the beauty of Brechtian theater is that it it, it induces this necessary reflection on what you're seeing at the same time you're seeing it. Because it keeps, it, it keeps like challenging your your suspension of disbelief and go no no the story you're seeing is just a, ve- a way for you to examine yourself in the oh, end, and, you know? and the world around you right and so these like, people that you may be you know not seeing fully yeah not perceiving as human beings right yeah who are dimensional so yeah and it remind me of the old hollywood uh, musicals the techniques uh, being used where they were filming the changing of the sets and the Which changing Coppola of Which Coppola did with your dad in that in wonderful one from movie. from the art, yeah. Well, that's, oh my God. It reminded me of exactly that as so well. much of that. Yeah. So much of that. Almost is really captivating in that Oh, film. he's unbelievable. He was iconic at the same time that he was very real. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, that's a fine line to walk. And let me tell you, that character was not there when they went into rehearsal. Hmm. He came in and with this organic process of finding this and, he, and then he's the one who started interjecting these very funny comments oh, that yeah, kind yeah. of like, you know, our town yeah, stage manager, yeah, state, right? right? Stage manager. Where he's all of a sudden, he's like guiding you through a story yeah, and commenting on is, it. Yeah. I remember when we used to have, when we went to the Aquarius from the taper, because taper was very, you know, blue, blue hairs, you know, 
Right. Very nice Chicanos. <laughs> very nice. Yes. Right. Very compelling. You know. You know. Let's go have a martini. I mean, maybe I'm just I'm being facetious, but but it's a little no, bit of that. Yeah. That's, but that's, but, that's, in, but what happened was is that there were very few people from the community were able to see this thing at the taper. It was sold out in two weeks. Boom, it's gone. You know. Two minutes, I forget, but it sold out quickly, and then there was no more. There were no more tickets, so that's when it it kind of made sense to move it, and we we took over the Aquarius Theater, yeah. which is this beautiful, you know, Art Deco thing from the forties. It was perfect, yeah. perfect marriage of space and and peace. And then they ran there for a year with even with a second cast. When we went off to Broadway, they continued with a replacement cast and kept running. They made so much money off that play at the Aquarius that they bought the Aquarius and then later sold it to uh, Nickelodeon for their offices, et cetera, but in some studios there. But I'll never forget that because then, then you had primarily the Chicano nation, primarily, you know, people from the barrio. They just came, they came over and over again. We used to have these kids that would, you know, wait for us backstage. And every time we saw them, they were dressed more and more like El Pachuco. Hey, hey, you know, we do, hey, we sign me here, sign my, sign my zoot, and all this stuff, you know. Yeah. It was like unbelievable. And then that's where, I mean, we were getting a lot of wonderful standing ovations. When we got to the Aquarius, it was like nothing I've ever seen and nothing I've experienced since. It was a theatrical phenomenon. It was like this theatrical tidal wave where, you know, these people were like fanatic about their reaction. We used to laugh at how many curtain calls. So we would do, I don't know if you remember, or did you ever see it? Oh, no, well, I, I think that they do, it. they did a curtain Why? call in the movie. I can't remember. Yeah. They do a curtain call. Well, we would come out like five, six times, close the curtain, you know, and then we'd keep playing the da 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 ba ba da ba da ba 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 da ba da ba ba I mean, people kept clapping and we kept coming out. And we used to, goes, we used to try and sing. I was, how many tonight? Five, six. And it was amazing. And I, I remember in particular how we kind of resonated with that audience. And we used to have old pachucos from the 40s who were by now, and they were, this is the 70s. So they were already in their 50s. They would come dressed in their zoot suits and, and they would have their little flasks of tequila, whatever the hell they were drinking. And they would sit in the back row. And they would, they would, it was like uh, being at, at gospel church. Yeah. They would say, yeah, orally. As they drank more and more, it started getting out of hand. And it was like, it was like the, um, the in Shakespeare's time, the people in- Groundlings. The, the groundlings. Yeah. So all of a sudden, when we got to the trial and the prosecutors start saying shit about the gang members, gang bangers, you know, with their, you know, zoot suits and their duck tails, yeah, it was called. Yeah. They started getting up and going, that's bullshit, is he? That's not how it went down, you know, wow. you know, you know, we were there, cabrón. You yeah. know, those white guys playing the, the defense attorney and the prosecuting, especially the prosecuting attorney, you know, they're going, oh shit, what's going to happen here? They were, you know, are we going to get hurt yeah. and start throwing shit at us or what? You know, and but none of that ever happened, but they got defensive about it. They didn't like the way I was talking. It went a visceral and it was immediate and it was like, hey man, this is theater they don't know the conventions they don't know they're not bound by those they've never been to the theater before i remember talking to some of these young kids and used to refer to the theater as el mono yeah we're coming back to the mono is see oh yeah we love it we go really mono he goes yeah yes you know like when we go to the movies we call it el mono it's like the monkey the, the performing monkey they bring their babies and babies are like screaming and hollering and, and we'd be doing the play you know whatever you know just keep on trucking. And Eddie would come out when those guys got boisterous. He would come out and go, Calma, tes montes, chicas, pata. Sit down and see. Let the man talk. Right? He would do this all the time. Yeah. And wow. they would just go, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, man. Wow. <laughs> okay, carnal. You know, you're the pachuco. You know? he okay, was, shut up. Yeah. Well, shut up. He you was know? that guy. No, it's yeah. I mean, wow. uh, where else? Can you can you experience something like that in the theater? That's the theater. Yeah, that's that's really the theater. And people see a powerful image of themselves or a powerful possibility for themselves. And so that struck We've a chord, that now, a very yeah. deep, vibrant chord in the community. And they never did anything about it. 
I mean, you right. could have you could have taken that Aquarius theater, changed it to the Luis Valdez theater or whatever you want to tell you, you know, the Zoot Suitor, and you could have produced every Luis Valdez play that he's ever written at that theater, and they would have all come back right. to see the next one right. and loved it. Yeah. You could have started a whole kind of a platform, theatrical platform for Latino playwrights in LA and cultivated an audience and they just dropped it. Um, yeah. After man. that, what do you consider to be your big breakthrough film role? An officer and a gentleman. Taylor Hafford came to see Zoot Suit and he saw it and he liked my character. And of course the character in Officer and Gentleman was very different, but nothing was scripted. He just had this idea of this little Latino guy in the platoon. And little by little, we just kind of like kept in every scene defining him more and more. And I think he's quite effective in the film. Yeah. He's, he's right. provides us, you know, a sense of humor. He, mm -hmm. he, he's like this poor guy, this guy would, would volunteer for everything and he would never get called because of course, Luke Gossett wanted to mess with Richard right. Gere. So somebody go, anybody volunteers? Emiliano would go, I'm ready. Right. You know, I'll kick your ass. And he's, yeah, you know, yeah. he's like twice my size. But anyway, it was like just little by little, we developed this, we, we detailed this guy and it was such a fun thing to do. I, I started getting a different reception when I went to audition. It went on to make $150 million or something. It was a huge movie and, and, and turned, you know, Deborah Winger and Richard, Richard Gere into Gere. big stars and yeah. Lou Gossett Jr. Sure. Academy Award Great for, actor. for the drill sergeant yeah. and, and Joe Cocker and, you know, that song for best song and yeah. uh, amazing. And so I always say that my career was kind of like before and after officer. So before it was like, sign in, please. <laughs> then after was, <laughs> after officer, we go, Tony, <laughs> thanks for coming in. So we're so happy you're here. <laughs> Would you like some water, tea, coffee? <laughs> go what the hell they're talking yeah, to me the same office i've been same, yeah it's like a signing please you know? yeah <laughs> so so it was interesting but i really did just movies for quite a while with some tv but really feature films were my my purview for a while yeah uh, and then you know uh, as you know movies changed and uh started doing more and more television uh, simply because there were better roles for us in television right more roles better roles and and uh and that's when, you know, I think um, I started graduating from blue collar to white collar. <laughs> uh, and it was a, a welcome change for me because I'm educated. I can play white collar, <laughs> right. you know, and I'm articulate. I can play white collar. Raul know? had actually never seen, sorry to out you here. He had actually never seen Lone Star. Oh, and, uh, yeah. Which to me is like a mess. I, I first saw it. In That's the highest rated movie that I've ever done on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Yep. Critically. It's a, 94%. It's, really it's 94%. It's amazing. I mean, Salvador is also up there and a, sure. a few others, you know, of course. Yeah. But but that one. Three Amigos and, to me should be up there. <laughs> <laughs> they don't respect comedies. I and know. comedy is harder to yeah. do than drama. Right. Ask anybody. Agreed. I um, hadn't seen Lone Star. I saw it in, I think it came out in 96. I remember seeing it in the theater. I was in film school at the time. And his, I was getting into sales a lot at that time and, and his spirit of indie oh filmmaking and, and all that. But he's an icon. He's amazing. He he's a master. And his use of flashbacks in that film was really fascinated us mm -hmm. at the time. And to explore the complexity of that small town yeah. with all those factions, the military and the, and the, and the Mexicans and, and, the, and the whites and how those lines blurred, you know, and yeah. sometimes impacted. And, and it was funny because it was right after uh, a film that I did. I spent a couple of months in Australia and in Melbourne doing a movie called Silver Strand. And it's really kind of a, a kind of a, a revisiting of Officer and Gentleman, except I'm playing the drill instructor. I'm playing the Lou Gossett role, and I loved it, right? But I was gone from my away from my family for uh, a little over two months. I came back and got the offer to do the John Sayles movie in Eagle Pass, Texas. We're right across from the border, Piedras Negras, which is another element of the movie, the border and right. all that fascinating movie as a script and I did it and I just forgot about it. And then John Sales invited me to come to the premiere in New York and I couldn't do it because I was working. And then, you know, it comes out in the art houses and, and, you know, I, I still, we still hadn't seen it. And, you know, one month goes by and it's still in the art houses. 
Two months go by. It's still there. Three months go by. I go, hon, we got to go see this movie. So we go to Pasadena at the Lemley and we're sitting in the, in this audience, mostly of like old Jewish people. And I'm like riveted because I hadn't seen the whole thing. I'd only been, I've only seen pieces and I was a small little piece of it. And, and all of a sudden I turned to eight after the movie. I go, I think that is one of the, if not the best movies I've ever been in. And Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes agrees. agrees. Shout out to Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> no, that film continues to blow me away. I mean, even just from a from a directing perspective, you look at how he used McConaughey, who was even he was very hot back then. When they, it's crazy, and they just shot the him people out. He got Joe yeah. Morton, but that's a day, two days Incredible with him. Nobody from yeah. you know brother, brother from, from another, another planet, yeah. which was you know. And you have that great scene with I still uh, I love uh, yeah. about the sheriff. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to run for sheriff. Yeah, and that's really so. Great. You, so what do you think about this issue? Well, you know it, it's. A complicated issue. You're going to be great. Yeah. You're going to be great. <laughs> I think you're going to be great. <laughs> yeah, so That's good. my favorite scene yeah, in the whole. Great. I mean, and I use it a lot in my demo for a long time. Yeah. What I was saying yeah. is the way he used McConaughey in that film is so smart because he, you've got this illusion of him being strewn throughout the entire film, but it's really three scenes in one bar that they probably did in a day or two. Oh yeah. And they paid him whatever yeah. they could to get him. But I tell you, I mean, the two people who, who, hit home runs in that movie were Chris Cooper and Elizabeth Pena, yeah, who oh, became yeah. later my co-star on Resurrection Boulevard. Right. You right. know, and, yeah. and I became, we became very close. We were both raising kids of the same age at the same time. And we became very close. And then we lost her almost five years ago. I mean, she won a, an independent spirit award, but she should have been nominated for, for an Oscar. For she that was role. an incredible And actress. so should have, so should, you know, Chris Cooper. That was his breakout yeah. part, really. That's I mean, right. he had done Matawan with sales before that, I think. And then he did that wonderful role in uh, October Sky. Yes. That's right. What a beautiful film that is. That it really yeah. is. And what a wonderful character that was. The minor yeah. and the kid who's like, a, you know, he's uh, gifted, right? Yeah. Intellectually. And he's in this mining environment going, what am I doing here? Yeah. I want to make rockets. And, you know, just amazing. But anyway. You know, so Zutsu was 80, yeah. Officer was 81, and then uh, I guess the next thing really was El Norte. That's yeah. a beautiful film. Norte. They're trying to re-release it because it's so relevant right now with oh, those yeah. two immigrant kids. Of course. Mm. And then there's a very interesting story about <laughs> El Norte. I think as it came out in 84, 85, I think I was in New York doing, rehearsing for the Boys of Winter. Mm. Uh, I'm in a wine shop and I hear these two Italian guys who obviously run the wine shop, talking about El Norte. Oh, we saw the beautiful film last night. Oh, my God. We, everybody just cried. We just had a, you know, oh, it was broke our hearts. I go, hey, I'm an actor. I'm in that film. And he goes, oh, my God. You're in that film? Everybody, Come. He's an actor in El Norte. We saw it last night. Come, come and meet the actor from El Norte. So I come over. You know, I'm Tony Plana. Oh, nice to meet you. And then, you know, we, I meet everybody, the whole family. And then he finally says, what the part did you play? And I go, well, you know, I, I played the, the, the Mexican-American waiter who, who turns them into immigration because they have, they've, they've taken his job away from him. It's like a the guy turns white. <laughs> Goes, you a fucking asshole! <laughs> how how could you uh, do that to those oh, kids? <laughs> those are kids. <laughs> I grab my wine. I'm like, Thank you. Okay. Nice Have a meeting. good night. Nice uh, meeting everybody. Make a speedy. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, everybody. Yeah. yeah. So extremely important. There you character. go. Yeah. 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 I guess I did my job. Effectiveness of the <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah. yeah. And I tell yeah. you, one of one of the my uh, one of the scenes I'm most proud of in that movie is the phone call to immigration. I don't know if you remember that. You know, phone calls are tough yeah. to do. Yes. And I thought absolutely. that that was um, very very effective in what happened. And yeah. and I and I had casting people talk to me about that scene after that movie when they saw it, and they would bring me in based on what I did in that scene. Yeah. That it felt so real and and complicated. Just, oh yeah. You know? The conflict. Yeah. You know. I mean. Yeah. You gotta. These are You're my from this people. Place. And for yourself as an immigrant, you know, you, yeah. you get that. You 
you didn't know what to do. He's mm-hmm. in a quandary. What am I going to do now? Right. They, they're working for less. Yeah, it serves nothing. I'm losing my job. Right. Is that right? So, you know, right. and, and to, to Nava's credit, you know, I think that, that movie's, I think, screenplay was nominated for best original oh. screenplay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh. uh, for an Oscar. Well, you know? it should. Yeah. Uh, and it was, and, it's, and it's, it seems like that which complicated the issue and exposed the multifaceted uh, challenge that immigration presents. Right. To you examine know? it from all sides yeah. Yeah. would, is, is and to add you know, that better character, than which, you know, the two dimensional. So it becomes yeah. less, you know, um, propagandist, you know, right. and, and more about like, just, you know, Human let's explore, beings, yeah. explore the quandary of, the, of this, of yeah. this, you know, reality. It's not all on one side or all on the other side. The same thing with, with, you know, Lone Star, two, good, two oh. really good movies yeah. where, yeah. where uh, there are no, there's no black and white. It's all yeah. very gray. Right. And with different gray shades and, yeah. and sometimes darkness yeah. <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. And in the that wonderful revelation at the end of Lone Star where. Oh my God. It's crushing. She's, what? Wow. She shows up and she's just like, don't <laughs> do this shit to me, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what I love about the end is they're staring at the movie, the, the drive-in movie screen yeah. that they were torn apart uh, during the movie, the drive-in movie. And now they're staring at the same screen, but it's blank. The future, it's like sort of, they, they project what up. they want yeah. on yeah. it. You know? It's up to it's us, a, to a blank brilliant. screen. No, no, yeah. no. It's, he's just, and he hasn't directed a lot lately. As a director, what's he like to work with compared to Oh, others? amazing. Yeah. First of all, I was in Australia. Before I even show up on the set, I get two pages of a character study wow. of the character. And this is a little part. I think everybody did. He gave you like a detailed kind of bio backstory, you know. Okay. So you're already coming in with a loaded arsenal, you know. So it, it, right. it was unusual that way. Yeah. yeah. And very, very sensitive to the performances. Yeah. And I think it's, you can see it in the film that the actors are grounded, they're you know, they're all rounded yeah. parts, all of them, even, I mean, cause it's such an ensemble piece, but even like, like Frances McDormand has this one scene where she plays yeah. Chris Cooper's ex-wife and she's just fully rounded character. Right there. Right there. See the whole marriage. Yeah. In that one scene. Yeah. So I think he's uh, been mostly working as a writer. I looked him up and what, what he's been up to and. Yeah. He's been rewriting. I think he, be, he, be, he be, became quite a guy to, what kind of a go-to guy yeah, when wants. you want to f- fix your script. That's, isn't it true? That's, John, do something. John, that's how he got started. Good. Here, do something. <laughs> like he made his first film, well, his first one was Brother from Another Planet, right? Yeah. But to finance these, he was doing rewrites of movies like Piranha and Alligator 2 and, and stuff like that. To Good for him. You got to make a living. I don't think he was making a lot of money off his films. <laughs> no, you got to get it done. You know, yeah. I don't make, think he was making a lot of yeah. money off of Lone Star. No, in order um, to make what thank you, God that they exist. Yeah, yeah I know. Absolutely. You know, and I and I think I think and that's I think that's what uh, led eventually to me kind of be do, me doing less feature films and more television yeah. because the, the roles you know especially once Hill Street Blues came along and right. you know right. television started to elevate uh, its its game yeah. in terms of the writing. Yeah, I mean, and, and the filmmaking that went into TV, you know, and and I think that there were just there was more work, of course, for us, and more interesting work for us in television, yeah. and better paying work, right? yeah. because <laughs> of the the feature films became about all the money goes to the head guy, right. the star, and everybody else works for scale, you know, with right. a few exceptions. I'm a big fan of Gary Shandling and his <laughs> shows. I want to Man, ask you. You guys did your what homework. Being, Come on. My, my wife comes oh, in. She's like, what the fuck are you guys watching? What do you guys watch? Oh, my God. Research. <laughs> but I'm that's so a great proud. show. So proud mm. of that episode. Yeah. When when the woman playing his mother and I yeah. break into a, a version, a bilingual version of Sunrise Sunset from Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. It was just brilliant. It was, it was really inspired. Inspired genius. Inspired yeah. lunacy is more like it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, how does that come about? Is that written in breaks into sunrise, sunset? Or, it was written. You know, it was yeah. written. And then we started yeah. doing it in harmony and we just started, it was crazy. So and I mean, nobody even knew I could sing. And I, I still, I mean, yeah. I'm not a singer like your father was, but, but, um, um, I can fake it and I was able to fake it and, and yeah. fake it enough to make it funny. I, you know, we did it like operatically. Yeah. 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 So good. And then I worked with, I think it was, I think it was before that or after him. I can't remember. 
But I work with Camila Lopez, who played my sister. Right. Well, she we was worked in... together on Born in East L.A., which yeah. is another crazy character. Okay, I still get recognized for that. Yeah. Hey, Feo! You know, Feo. East L.A. Hey, El Feo is too, cabrón. You call him Feo. You know, it's a funny man. Yeah, no, that's what you, you know, you're talking about. Not doing, not getting the chance to do comedy that much. You've had the opportunity I have. to play some great comedic roles. On some very iconic shows, including Seinfeld. Ugly Betty, too. A, yeah, well, of course. Ugly Once Betty. Once you got to Ugly Betty, uh, you're on that show for the whole time. Yeah, and the whole time. You, you know, Not yeah. that it's a comedy, but we watch... I, Pain and Gain is one of the funniest films oh in my the last God. 10 years. I mean, like black humor. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get to do a lot of comedy in that book because I'm the detective, right. chief of police right. kind of guy. Yeah. But It's hilarious, uh, man. But it's it ridiculous. <laughs> I remember <laughs> it. And <laughs> every single aspect of that film is real. It all happened. So I remember Nothing that article. was embellished. It really happened that way. Because I read, I read the, the police reports. I read yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the accounts in the newspapers. And these guys did all that, that stupid stuff. Yeah. No, I remember reading the Miami Herald article in like 95. And, and, and Miami was a place where nothing should surprise you. But. <laughs> well, it, it did. <laughs> that all these guys really did this? Yeah. Boy, I tell you, tell you, stay away from steroids. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. They can. Wow. They can. Make you insane. <laughs> yeah, stay away from uh, those. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, I think one of the things I'm most proud of as an actor, and, and listen, I, 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 I modeled myself after your father because your father could be wonderfully effective in drama and wonderfully effective in comedy. He'd be funny as hell. He had that facility, you know, uh, to play both. I think that also comes from the theater. And I think it's one of the reasons why the people who were cast in Ugly Betty were all like theatrically based performers who were very comfortable doing on a dime, switching from drama where you're crying to comedy where you're laughing. I'm still the recurring father for America Ferreira in Superstore on NBC. Oh. I'm also Rita Moreno's <laughs> dead husband who shows up every once in a while from the grave in one day at a time. Yeah, I mean, you think like, what is that when it, I, I've gotten asked that question many times? So what do you do, comedy or drama? <laughs> and it's sort of like, I mean, what do you think? What, what, what is the way to it's answer a very fine that line. question? It's a know? very fine line. What are, yeah, what's the answer I supposed mean, to be? Look, I know? think I pushed that line a couple of times <laughs> yeah. with Jefe and Three Amigos and Feo and Bonanese Dele. Yeah, By the way, we improvised Feo the entire thing. Really? Based on... Um, Jimmy Swaggart and James Baker, the two evangelists. <laughs> yeah. At the time, they were both getting busted for, you know, consorting with a, consorting, I should say, consorting with a prostitute when Jimmy Swaggart and then confessing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, yeah. and I liked it. <laughs> you know. Or James Baker yeah. guy, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, you know, yeah. I, um, yeah, yeah, we made a lot of money, you know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, thank was, you, Jesus. Uh, and so Cheech and I wanted to kind of make a comment on that. So why don't we make this, first of all, we, we, we came up with the idea of like, let's just create the ultimate Tijuana jail nightmare. Mm -hmm. and, then, and it was this guy. And he was weird. He was like rat-like with these buck gold teeth and greasy hair and a bow tie. And he, he was like weird, like just bizarre, you know? And then he carried a Bible wherever he went. Like, you know, and when he was bribing you, he'd go, well, make a covenant with the Lord. One of my lines that we came up with, I think it was like very funny. He said, well, you don't have to thank me. You just have to pay me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was just, it was all improv based on, you know, the headlines of the newspaper. And we just wanted to create this thing. And one thing led to the other. And then we had that famous line where, fuck me. No, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. You know, it's like, yeah. just, you know, it was just kind of, again, just inspired lunacy that we came up with. I think the Latino community of actors have always, to a degree, been in the, in the conversation about immigration, the border, all this uh, you know, culture. And, and now, you know, we have moments like this where it's considered relevant, but we've always been you know, you, you've always been oh, yeah. in it. The material inspired me to give good auditions, to get hired, to do the role. Romero was one of them. Mm. You know, they couldn't find, I mean, they weren't having, they were trouble, 
trouble finding this. I was like a last minute cast. Same thing with Salvador. Mm. Um, Oliver Stone couldn't find the Dobison character, you know, Major Max. Uh, just couldn't find it. I was one of the last people he saw. Hmm. I was hired on the spot. I walked in, I, you know, hmm. gave him, gave him my little speech and he went, okay, so, so are you, can you leave and, you know, next week, you know, boom. So I think, I think it's that. I think it's once I read the material and, and I felt that it was, this is important material. You bring importance to the audition. You're inspired by it. You want to be a part of it. You want to you want to tell the story or be part of telling the story. Yeah, and so that's I think that's how I ended up in so many movies that have that have you know that are important. Yeah, that you know that they're about something right, but important, yeah. shedding some light on issues yeah. that are important to take a look at uh, and important to try and solve. Are there any recent films you've seen that you think do that? Do you go to the movies a lot? I watch all the movies. Yeah. I vote on the Oscars. Been voting on the Oscars for almost 30 years. So I see all the movies. And I, and I think, unfortunately, not that many American movies are that relevant. Yeah. Um, so I find, I find filmmakers like from Iran or even Israel. Um, yeah, I saw know. that you're actually, you're for the Iranian uh, film film festival you've been oh no uh, i i, I was a judge a judge yeah 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 because yeah. yeah, uh, a friend of mine is is was uh, an organizer at the festival and they they asked me to be on it and i said of course yeah. and and i tell them some of the most compelling films i've seen in the last 10 years are the separation and yes um the, the well, death of, the, death of a salesman the, or the salesman you worked with the actress from a separation in uh yeah. the punisher the Punisher, yeah, yes, just love her, love her, yeah. I got to call her because I, I haven't followed up, but um, yes, amazing, Don't amazing movie. That guy is one of the best filmmakers we have around. You know, yeah, they have uh, such a great tradition of filmmaking. I mean, the separation was like uh, just so powerful because you 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 get this entree into this world of how the laws operate, how they're patriarchal. And, and, you know, uh, misogynistic and it's just crazy, you know, and, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, you, you get a glimpse into a world that you would never get a glimpse into otherwise. That's why we, right. we love yeah. seeing films from other countries. Yeah. I mean, you look know? at the films uh, of Japan. That even came... Roma. Roma. Roma was mm-hmm. excellent. Okay. Yeah. I mean, how about that guy? Yeah. He doesn't have to do that film. Yeah. But he says, I don't want to do another Hollywood film. Yeah. I don't want to do another Gravity or The Revenant or something like that. No. I want to do something about me and what made me who I am. Yeah. Well, anytime he makes a, a movie from the heart, you know, it's really, which I, I'm sure all of his y tu mama are, también. But, Oh my God. Yeah. Get it. I mean, yeah. They're like, you know, and the other guy, Amores Perros. Yeah. Get it. You know, I wish they would do more. I mean, I think Inaritu and, and well, the Toro is a whole never guy, but, but Inaritu should go back, I think, and do films in mexico again i would love you to know. see something maybe yeah. you know he'll be inspired to do that um, after I roma so yeah and so you what know, you know what, I mean, I, i'm sure on. that he had no intention that this would ever kind of have the kind of trajectory that it did yeah because this is just a small film uh about him and his family and you know and the way he did it and he i think he did everything himself he produced yeah, he it he shot he, it shot it he directed it he wrote it he, he uh, this is crazy He's, he, he art designed it because that was he knew he'd been there yeah. who else can design it better than than, than him yeah and or, uh, I mean, than he you know the art uh, direction in that movie is insane amazing <laughs> even the even the cinematography Oh, incredible. Of that movie at that black and white mm. kind of a kind of kind of like a faded sepia tone yeah. and well that the, shot at the end when the they, they pan across the ocean and the kids are drowning and all that stuff is happening oh, oh my god and, and he's and that hovering reu- over the, the ocean and that reunion at the at the at the shore yeah and she's desperate you know um a, um yeah so i you know no I, I really enjoy films from other um other other countries which is a complete which is a complete miracle to me because I, I i shared with you the beginnings where i was going what am i doing here what, what is this about i know and then to 
to still be going, I'm 67 and to still be working uh, regularly, um, you know, it's still a miracle, still a, a surprise, wonderful surprise, you know, that it, that it, that it has happened. This is going on 40, 45 years, I mean, 44, 45 years of, of work. And I, I think that it, it philosophically, when you reflect on it, yeah, I don't, I don't know how your dad felt about it, but because he had a very short journey. I mean, relatively short. He should he should still be here with us right here sitting right now, having done another 40, 50 projects. It just teaches me that you have to kind of live in the moment. That the acting process, since it it develops, it happens in the moment. That that is a very, um, I think, relevant analogy to when you think about career. Like Chris Mulkey and I would laugh at each other all the time. Goes, I don't know if that's a, a right move for me in, in my career. And the other guy would just bust and go, what career? We have no control. We don't have control over careers. You know? Um, job to job. Job to job. Yeah. You know, audition to audition. Show up and you do your best at the audition. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, you don't. You move on. Um, so really, it was like... Um, there wasn't this grand plan of like, when I'm 67, I'm going to be, you know, I mean, some people think that way. I, I did not. As a matter of fact, people ask me what, <laughs> what my MO was, low expectations. And then you're always surprised. Oh, I got it. Oh my God. No, really. In a very spiritual sense or philosophical sense, it just takes an act of faith to do what we're doing. And, and then on top of that, get married and have children. What were you thinking? I mean, honestly, but I don't know. You just do it and you go, you know, I mean, I guess in, in some ways it was like foolish. <laughs> like I didn't even think about it. Just my wife wanted the children. I go, well, I guess so. Yeah, let's go. You know, you know, thinking, I'm thinking about it. Nothing about like, you know, you're going to have to pay the rent for more space because you, you know, blah, 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 blah. But it all worked out very nicely, very nicely. And so, you know, did I plan it? Did I visualize it? Mm, not really. Um, I just visualized one thing at a time, you know, each character that happened. And, you know, and then that kind of, you know, it's like one, one rung of the ladder at a time, you know. And you don't even know you're building a ladder. You're just working on the rung. <laughs> 